Hi, this is Dr. Sean Handorp, clinical psychologist and health behavior expert, and this is the Motivation Made Easy podcast. Each week, I'll be bringing you science-backed information, strategies, and inspiration to master your relationship with food so that you can feel in control of your habits, respect your body, and free your mind to focus on the things in life that truly matter. I'm a clinical psychologist, and I've had years of experience doing research and patient care in the field of weight management and eating disorders. So I've had the insider view on understanding what works and what we're getting very, very wrong. In this podcast, you'll find practical information and tips based on motivation science, interviews from experts, and stories from real people and how they've navigated their relationship with food. My goal is to empower you with information, inspire you to make changes that fit you, and feel 100% supported along the way. So settle in and make yourself comfortable, and get excited to learn and take action for a better, healthier, more energized life. This episode is a replay from episode four, way back at the beginning of the podcast, It's one of our foundational episodes, and this is one of the foundational episodes where I get a little bit into our personal journey as a family and some of the ways that we've been able to use fear, but I would also say really like getting connected with what matters, and um, one of the reasons that I'm replaying these episodes, not only because I think that they're really foundational principles that it's really important to understand as we understand motivation, but also because our family over the last several weeks has been hit with a lot of grief and loss and and new diagnoses and things that, while are very painful and hard, they do get you very connected with what matters and very connected with your values. And as hard as that is, we do need to learn to do that. That's one of, you know, my, my, uh, if you've been a listener, you've heard a lot about the importance of values clarification and walking through, you can grab my free guide to do that at drhondorp.com forward slash goals. But unfortunately, this is something that there, there's a reason, um, there's acceptance and commitment therapy is a very, very evidence-based approach to a lot of psychological difficulties. It's really, been um, very pivotal in in building on what we know from cognitive behavioral therapy. It's moving away from just change your thoughts to feel good, but realizing that sometimes focusing on feeling good keeps us in a trap. It keeps us moving away from what we value and that being able to tolerate distress or being able to experience discomfort and pain, emotional or physical, if it's in service of our values is incredibly powerful. And so this idea of like self-care doesn't always mean feeling good. Sometimes self-care means digging deep into the tough, painful stuff that you're avoiding so that you can free up, realize what you're doing that's ineffective and, and move towards positive change. Of course, that's like one way that therapy really works is this place where you have freedom to show up as yourself be vulnerable, but be safe and explore difficult emotions and move forward. 
And this is a powerful skill that you will learn and you will be honing throughout your life. And so this is something that I am still honing as we, again, had this opportunity over the past, you know, I'm recording this little intro here in uh, September of 2021, and we've been hit with a lot of tough stuff. And so to be able to say, okay, how am I living my life? Is it consistent with the person I want to be? Is it consistent with my values? Um, Making space for that can be really uncomfortable because sometimes, like for me over the past few months, I'm like, well, that's not, I'm not. And this has already been the case prior to being hit with a lot of loss. I just didn't feel like I was present enough for my family. I felt like I was too wrapped up in building up this business. And, you know, as much as I absolutely love what I'm doing, it didn't feel sustainable. It felt like I was going to burn out. And, um, and so to be able to sit in that discomfort and realize there's a discrepancy with how you want to be and how you are is very painful, but very valuable. And so when we can do that without shame and self-criticism, which I am a work in progress on, ask my husband, um, we can create true meaningful change that is aligned with how we want to live. And so that's, that's the value here. So this episode, you're going to hear a bit about our personal journey, how, um, you know, after I moved away from dieting, we made some lifestyle changes that were truly autonomous and truly consistent with the way we wanted to live, um, with some of the ways that we eat and, um, but yeah, certainly not in a perfect way. So I hope you enjoy diving back into this story. Um, and I hope that you're doing well. I hope that you're trying to slow down and make space for yourself um, and whatever you're going through, because there is a lot going on in the world right now. And I think we all feel it um, pretty immensely. So I hope you're taking care of yourself. I hope you enjoy this episode and I can't wait to hear what you think. Talk to you soon. And just as a reminder, this podcast and blog are for educational and informational purposes only. It should not be construed as any form of professional advice. If you are struggling, please seek out a professional in your arena that you're struggling with so they can help you navigate how this information might apply to your specific situation. All right, let's dive in. Hey guys, Dr. Sean Hondorp here and coming at you with a little bit different type of episode today. I was actually going to do this episode a little bit later on in the podcast, but I had an experience this past week and honestly, I just kind of felt compelled to tell you a little story that has influenced our family's lives tremendously over the past few years and really talk to you about, yeah, I'm all about the science of motivation and the theories and the research and all of that, but really how this matters and why this is such a passion for me and why it matters to you is how it maps onto our lives, right? So I have this opportunity to share with you how our family has really thought about our health and our motivation to make healthy changes, and hopefully it's of some value to you today. So thank you so much for listening. I truly appreciate you being here. It means more to me than you could ever know. So I want to tell you a story today that's pretty personal, and so settle in. So this week, I had a moment of kind of freaking out. I had, uh, let's see, last summer, I realized and was diagnosed with 
basal cell carcinoma, a form of skin cancer that's really common. Um, it's on my forehead, so if you've seen videos of me, you might be like, what's that thing on your forehead? So it, it basically showed up as like dry skin for a while, sort of a non-healing dry spot. I had no idea it could be cancer, to be honest. I went in and I was like, hey, can you do a skin cancer check? And also, like, what's this dry spot? Tell me what lotion to put on it. And she's like, actually, I suspect this is basal cell carcinoma. So the, the type of skin cancer, I believe, is, don't quote me on the stats, but I think like one in five people get it. Um, obviously, sun exposure is a risk factor, but it's also a, a genetic risk factor. So I have some family members who have had it, so we have a genetic risk for it as well. And so it was obviously kind of upsetting, the word cancer. It was it was upsetting, but it's it almost always just lives on the surface and is almost always able to be removed by, I had what's called the Mohs procedure. And basically, I have some kind of gnarly pictures of it, but they kind of remove all the tissue and then they kind of sew it up. So I have this little scar that doesn't look too bad, but the reason I was freaking out about it this week is basically I felt like there was a little spot on it that wasn't healing or kind of looked weird and I was sort of obsessing about it and worrying about it and worrying about having to deal with this again because basically with basal cell carcinoma everything I've read is that some people never get it again but a decent amount have sort of recurring episodes where they keep having to get these spots removed and so it's not the end of the world that happens, but I obviously don't want that to happen. And I was like, this just got removed. I was catastrophizing. I, I hope, you know, I'll get it checked out if I need to, but I'm hoping it's just healing the way it's healing and whatever. But what this experience brought up for me is thinking about fear and having to deal with cancer again. But what it really brought up for me is some of our family history. So Basically, after my daughter was born, she's about three and a half now, a little bit after she was born, we got the news that our family, my husband's family, has a history of Lynch syndrome. So Lynch syndrome is a genetic condition that, if you have it, greatly increases your risk of a variety of types of cancers. Like, not just a little bit, but a lot. I think of this gen gene mutation, it's kind of similar to the BRCA gene the one that increases your risk of breast cancer. And so if there's any geneticists in the audience and I'm wrong about that, let me know. But that's how I think of it. I think we're going to probably discover more and more of these types of genetic mutations, but there's only a few right now. And so finding out about that was really upsetting, obviously. We, it really shakes, and I think probably harder for my husband and me, although it was upsetting for both of us, because that means our kids have a 50-50 chance of getting it. And we, it's an adult risk factor, so it's more for adult cancer. So something they don't really have to think about till they're adults and until they're later in their life. But it's not fun. It was, I think, you know, it's been three years, so very hard to process in many ways. But I think for the most part, I think both of us have sort of processed it. And the reason I want to share this with you today is I want to share how this fear that I had this past week of sort of my own little skin cancer, but then 
really it brought up fears of what if something else happened sort of it just shook my sense of like everything being okay and it was also during a week where I was just really focused on the business I'm a brand new entrepreneur I had a nine-to-five and now I just have my entrepreneur little private practice and the podcast educational support business that you're seeing here and I was really focused on work understandably but then I got this like sort of feeling like None of that's going to matter if something happens to the, our health, right? And so stressing about this, and also basal cell carcinoma, I've read some research that like the stress response and stress actually greatly impacts our immune functioning and can impact recurrence, which is kind of crazy. I mean, we know that stress impacts our disease risk, but it's just, it just makes you think, ah, I can't be too stressed because I don't want to cause cancer myself. And that's a whole rabbit hole that's obviously not useful to go down, right? But what happened is in this moment of fear, what I want to talk to you about today is how to really transform fear into forward progress and feeling like something you can control. Because this is basically what our family has done over the past three years and probably, well, not probably, definitely the reason why, the main reason why we eat the way that we do And part of what I want to do in this podcast, as I mentioned in the introduction, is sort of merge the eating disorder world with the health weight management type world to try to find our common ground of where we can not be shame-based in any of our motivations, but also know and learn what we do know about health and health behavior and disease risk in a way that's empowering and and really positive. So obviously my biggest thing is our motivation and the theories behind how to develop internal autonomous motivation, how to make these behavior changes not a should. And what we were able to do in finding out about our family having Lynch syndrome, I actually during that time was also working at a preventive cardiology clinic where the cardiologist was often recommending a plant-based diet and recommending forks over knives meal planner to a lot of our patients. So I was seeing that in his notes a lot and I was sort of thinking like, oh, okay, well, let's, um, let me try it. So I was thinking, let me try that just to see what the patients are experiencing, right? And to see how they, how the meal planner is so I can talk about that with them. And I was like, you know, we'll probably like it. So we actually liked it much more than we thought we would. Um, actually the, the meal planner we've now been using for three years. So it's the forks over knives meal planner. And in fact, I've set it up so that I can be a referral source for you. If you're interested in trying it, you can try it free for 14 days and it's a tiny way. I think I get a very, very tiny amount if you were to sign up beyond the 14 days, but the, the cool thing is it's a tiny way that you can support this podcast because I'm a one-woman show over here. So if you want to support this podcast and you want to try it and you also want to try out the Forks Over Knives Meal Planner, um, you can do so by going to drshawnhondorf.com forward slash links. And then there's a button on there that says Forks Over Knives Meal Planner. So if you use that link, if you sign up, then I think I get a small referral fee. So that's a way to support the podcast and try out a new plant-based meal planner. It's pretty cool. So um, that said, I, so we, we ended up using 
this meal planner just to kind of try it out. And we ended up really liking it for a variety of reasons. Basically, and if you do end up signing up for it, it's super affordable. We do the yearly now that we use it so much. Um, and I think it ends up being like seven bucks a month. So a couple bucks a week. So that's pretty affordable, but it's not any food. You just get, it plans out each week. It pre-populates new meals into breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We don't do breakfast, so we take out the breakfast. And we usually do about four meals a week. So it gives you five, but then we usually just pick the four that we like. And we usually have one meal and then one for leftovers. And it pre-populates a grocery list, a meal prep on Sunday thing if you want to get ahead of things. And then it has these different recipes, all of which are plant-based. But I will say that if plant-based isn't for you, you can always add a little bit of like meat or other protein or um, uh, anything really you can add to it. But it's going to give you a really plant-based like base to plan your meals around. And, um, you know, not every recipe is like a total hit with the family, but a lot of them are really good. And so I definitely recommend it. Okay. But more than recommending the actual planner to you, what I recommend is you reflecting on your own internal reasons. And this is how we've really turned this fear of cancer or fear of disease. And really, I, I will say too, that anyone who's dealt with any cancer diagnosis, my heart goes out to you. Just experiencing this genetic condition and, and this realization has been really hard for us, but we're also really aware of how lucky we are to be aware of this mutation, right? So that we can be proactive and we can take a stand to do the things that we can. Not, I mean, not everyone, most people weren't given this gift, right? This is a new condition that a lot of people aren't even aware of. And so not to mention that there's a lot of mutations that we just don't have tests for and we don't have good knowledge around. So we're incredibly grateful to have this gift of being able to, it's really helped us to focus on what truly matters. And as hard as it's been, I think my husband and I would both strongly agree that it's been a gift as well. And so we started this meal planner and then I ended up having some continuing ed money from my organization and I ended up taking, Cornell has a plant-based nutrition certificate program. And Cornell is really where T. Colin Campbell is a um, professor there who's done a ton of this really cool plant-based science research and a lot relating it to cancer risk. So I took this class and they talked about it, plant-based eating as it relates to cancer risk and heart disease and diabetes and all those areas. And it was an amazing class. It was decently pricey. Like I said, at my organization paid for it, which I'm super grateful for, but it was amazing. And I've written a blog post about the, the most shocking thing that I learned in that class. Cause I was pretty aware of the relationship between plant-based eating and heart disease risk. And I wasn't as much related to diabetes. That was pretty interesting too. Cause you think about diabetes and, you know, reduced carbs and things like that. But that was pretty fascinating, the data of how a plant-based diet can be really useful for that. Um, and, uh, you know, my caveat, obviously, is I am a psychologist. I'm not a dietitian. I'm not a nutritionist. I do, clearly taking this course, um, I do a lot of work to try to stay up on the information and the research, but I'm also not a physician. So this is none of this is medical advice. But what I was probably most shocked about with this course and I was sharing with my husband at the time is how strong the data is 
for animal protein above a certain percentage and cancer risk. So they've done, and I've written about this in the past, and I'll link to that if you want all the details on the studies, but they've done these really interesting lab studies where they basically look at um, tumor growth, and it's in rats, because uh, it's a lab study, and they've looked at how increasing the percentage of calories from protein from 5% up to, I believe, 20% and back down actually increases tumor growth as you raise it up to that 20%, and then you can actually reduce the tumor growth again. These really slow-growing grow tumors is what they studied for this study by reducing the animal protein back to 5%. They actually used casein for this study, which is a, a milk protein or a protein found in milk. And I found this pretty fascinating because... I honestly didn't know, and maybe you were aware, but I've been in the health field for a long time, and I think sometimes this is a, yet another example of how when we focus so much on weight loss and calories in versus calories out, that we don't get the, these messages about the science behind what you know sometimes animal protein can do or what this plant-based eating can really do for our, our disease risk. And T. Colin Campbell also did a huge study called the China study, and they've written this entire book on it. And I, I got the book and I haven't read the whole book, but the China study was really fascinating because basically what they did there is they started to look for patterns and dietary patterns in China. And the interesting thing about that is that China, this was in the 1980s, and China was a really interesting ideal place to study at that time because it had this huge population above about 800 million people, and they studied 96% of the population, so this huge portion. And the diets of people living in China were much more plant-based than in the West, so they, this allowed researchers to actually study a plant-based eating pattern on a larger scale. So we couldn't really do this in the U.S. because it's not as common to eat this way. And so the, the China study was also fascinating because they rarely migrated within their country. So almost 90 to 95% of people in China never left, in rural China, never left the area where they were born. So this made their eating patterns easily studied to accurately li link to disease risk versus like in the U.S., right? We're always moving around. And so that wouldn't really be, you wouldn't really be able to study that very well. Their food systems are also highly localized and food patterns varied a lot from region to region. And so this lended more confidence to our study to their study conclusions. There was also very little genetic variation between the subjects, suggesting that changes in disease risk were more likely due to diet, not genetics. So the main findings of this, this China study was cancer rates were really different from one part of the country to another, sometimes up to a 12-fold difference, which is way higher than you would see in Western countries. A lot of times we only see a one to two-fold difference in different areas of the country at most. This also suggests that the disease risk is much more likely to be due to environmental factors like diet or potentially other environmental factors versus genetics. And then the other main study finding was that higher fat and animal protein meat, dairy, eggs was highly linked to cancer rates across a range of cancers. And then higher fiber diets were linked to the lowest risk of cancers like colon cancer. So this is, you know, there's other, it's beyond the scope of this podcast to completely review all the data here. 
But it was pretty interesting because if you think about some of the messages that we get about health and what's healthy, and I would say, you know, the low carb craze is one of the ones that because we're so fixated on weight loss that we can get sort of caught up in. And I'm not saying if you don't feel great eating certain carbs, like, you know me, I'm all about supporting whatever makes you feel good. I'm, I'm for, but what is fascinating is that this data was not something we were aware of as a family, despite me being in the health field. So I thought that was pretty interesting. And it also ended up being something really empowering that my husband and I felt like, okay, this is something we can control. And so we, um, we do not eat fully plant-based. We probably never will. And we don't restrict any foods. That's a big thing for me, for myself and for my family. I don't, we don't want to be restrictive. So we eat pepperoni pizza, I don't know, probably a couple times a month. And we, we eat whatever. Like, I mean, I'm notorious for saying I'm probably not super common. And then I eat like a vegan diet a decent amount of time. And then I eat the, just the worst quality meats, like hot dogs and I don't know, no judgment. Like you do you. And by no means am I saying that you should adopt a plant-based diet. I want you to be aware of the science supporting it and how for us, it's been really empowering as, as we think about shifting from should-based motivations. I think many years ago, if we learn about this genetic condition and this risk of cancer, it would probably have increased my stress and feeling of I should do this, I should lose weight. I would associate weight loss with health risk. So I would feel like I need to lose weight and I would feel probably out of control with that because I wasn't successful at doing that in the past. And there'd probably be a lot of stress with that. In fact, when I was 18, I found out that I had high cholesterol and I ended up like being like, I really should fix this. And, but I focused on weight loss and I just, it just made all my health worse over the years. My cholesterol's better now, much better. It's an example of this external motivation, how it doesn't work to motivate change, but what this fear of one of our family members developing cancer, this that's an external motivator in some ways because it feels like, ooh, I really should make a change, but we're able to sort of integrate it into something that felt like we have control over. This is our value system to make these changes that feel good for our family. And then I think really the side benefit is we ended up feeling good on this diet or this eating pattern and my husband and I feel really good on it. And like, so we keep it up because we like it. The actual process of doing it is work, right? Like I, I will tell you first off that the Forks Over Knives meal planner isn't like, it's not it's super time intensive, but it's not like a really, really easy meal. I mean, it just takes some prep work, but I think cooking anything does, right? And so I think it's pretty simple. I think if I can do it and I was never a cook, it's very doable. And there's many other ways that you can learn plant-based eating, right? But this has become a, a thing that I know for me, and I do most of the cooking, I feel like it's something I can give to my family that feels really, really empowering and really positive and something that I can control. And as I said before, in terms of intrinsic motivation, we talked last episode about the types of motivation. I don't find it to be cooking. Sometimes I do have these glimpses where I'm like, oh, I'm really enjoying this. And I feel really, look at this pretty dish that I made. Um, but a lot of times I do it because of that 
integrated or identified motivation. It's kind of those autonomous motivation motivators in the middle where I'm doing this because it's the, the best thing I can do for my family. And I really feel very positive about that. I have a lot of pride about that. Um, and even saying the word pride, I, I've talked so much about this in the podcast. Like I never want to make anyone else feel shame for what they are or are not doing. That's a hundred percent going to be counterproductive, but I wanted to share our process and how it's worked for us. So I hope that's useful to you today because I think that whatever your motivations are, I want you to be aware of the science. And I also think there's not a right way to do this. And I also think there's no like shoulds about what changes you should or shouldn't make, but it's just about most of you, if you're listening to this podcast and I've talked to you, you know, most of you do say like, I do want to improve my relationship with food. I want to respect my body. And I also want to fuel it with good things. Right. So a lot of you have told me that. And so it's just about figuring out what that looks like for you. And for most of us, it's going to be trial and error. And I will say too, that we use this meal planner for maybe on average three to four meals a week, but like for six months after we had our son, we didn't use it. We did a meal service most of the time then. So this is a flexible thing. It's about what you're doing a more majority of the time. And there's not a lot of, I didn't feel like for those six months, like, Oh, I really should get back to it. No, I was like, I want to get back to it, but it's just not fitting in right now. Right. And so it's again, the why behind what you do the way you approach yourself as you make these changes, once you really get rid of that diet mentality of that, like, I got to control my weight, uh, weight loss was never a part of the motivation, 100%, not even close. But I had given up dieting years ago, so it's easier for me to not even think about that. I would eat this way because of the reduced disease risk for my family and because of how good we feel, 100%, even if we gained weight doing it. I mean, if we gained weight, I would sort of want to know why we're gaining weight and understand that, right? But if we never changed our weight ever, I would not, that doesn't matter. It has zero bearing on why we make these changes. So I hope this was helpful to you. Like I said, it's kind of a more personal, vulnerable story. As a psychologist, I'm not really used to, you know, when I work one-on-one with people, I rarely share about myself, not because... I don't want people to know, but because it's not about me, it's about the person in front of me and their, their time. And it's not for me to share. I might share a little story here or there. So this is different for me. I think the biggest message here, I don't have any like specific tips per se, um, except to pay attention. And you think about the health information that you've gotten and the messages you've internalized about weight and how healthy or unhealthy your weight is, or how some of your habits map onto your health. Maybe think about just, are you overemphasizing some of them and underemphasizing other ones? Are there ways that you could take some different approaches to feeling more empowered about your health other than what you're doing now? So just asking yourself some of those more general questions. I really made this episode for you if you're feeling like you're having a lot of shoulds or fears about your health or about things that you're worried about in the future. A lot of times I actually worked um, more recently in a cardiology group and I'd work with a lot of people who'd had a heart attack 
or found out even that they had a genetic condition where they were at a higher risk of a heart attack, similarly to what I've been talking about here today. So there's this fear, but they'd also be frustrated with themselves. Like, why isn't this motivating my behavior? And I think a lot of times because we get, somehow we're caught up in that should-based, shame-based, external motivation cycle. And when you really get out of that, it can be really freeing. And so it's really asking yourself, not what should I do, but what do I want to do? How is changing my health important? Because I've talked about health actually before about how it can be a pretty external motivator. It can be very much a should. I should do this for my health. I should, I should, I should. And really how asking yourself, well, why do I want to do this for my health, right? Like, why is my health important? Most of us, our health is very important to us, but it's important to us because of the things that will allow us to do in the future, right? Be with our family on their most important moments, right? Be with our kids in the future if they have decide to have their own children and be at those moments or be able to run around with them when they join their first sports team or when they do an activity that you have to go do something with them and you want to be fit enough to do that. Or maybe it's on a family vacation when you're all climbing up to the top of a hill and you want to be able to do it and feel good and not completely out of breath doing it. Some of those those reasons are really what get us going and you don't necessarily need to find more than like a whole bunch of reasons, you can, but a lot of times it's just find one or two powerful ones and frankly it might just be one of what really gets you going and reflecting on that. There's no right or wrong here, but it's what gets you going, what brings up your emotion. It might bring up some fear or anxiety, but it also brings up some positive emotion of feeling of empowerment of I can control this. And that's what I want for you is how to shift it from that should to that what I can control and how I can control my, usually we're talking about my health habits here, but how can I control other things in my life, my stress level, my sleep, my relationships, what can I do differently to live the life I want to live? That's what we're all about here at the Motivation Made Easy podcast. It is definitely not just about making eating and exercise changes. It's about living the life that you were meant to live so that you can do the things that you were meant to do in the world and so that you can bring good and purpose and positive things into the world. So that's why I made this episode here for you today. If you're anything like me, you may at times really feel like there's so much pain in the world that it's pretty overwhelming. And even though I do my best to avoid the news, it's hard to avoid feeling helpless at times that you can't do anything to make positive change. Well, I'm here to tell you that there's one positive change that I've made in terms of where I buy my books, and I'd invite you to do the same. Bookshop is a website that supports local bookstores near you as well as affiliates that work with them. So if you buy through the bookshop link, you're going to be supporting local bookstores near you in the U.S. and Canada, and you're going to be supporting my blog and podcast. It's kind of like a tip jar. Did you know that if nothing slows their momentum, Amazon will have about 80% of the book market by the end of 2025? Look, I have Amazon Prime. I love the convenience, but this is a super cool way that you can do something positive with where you buy your books 
and support some really positive causes. Make sure you check it out. You can find all of my favorite books about health and wellness, but also about topics like courage, vulnerability, and even some of my favorite fiction and kids books for the times when you just need some fun, downtime, or some meaningful stories. My recent favorite is related to improving the quality of our lives and the way we use technology and really doing so from a value-based place. No pressure. It's not going to tell you that technology is bad. It's just going to help you to evaluate for you where the pros outweigh the cons and where they don't. So if you believe in supporting local, controlling the things that you can, please consider buying your books through Bookshop and through the Psychology of Wellness link. You can find that in the show notes or you can go to drshawnhondorp.com. That's D-R-S-H-A-W-N-H-O-N-D-O-R-P.com forward slash bookshop. Thank you for tuning in today. Your time is valuable and it means so much to me that you're here. Despite the title of this podcast, many of our topics are not always easy. Change is hard, and let's face it, life and truly looking inward at ourselves can be uncomfortable. That's why I'm grateful. Grateful for you and your willingness to listen, learn, and keep an open mind. I invite you to learn more by going to drshawnhondorp.com or finding me on Instagram at psychology.of.wellness. If you're enjoying this podcast, it would be amazing if you could give it a review so more people can find it. Thanks, and I truly hope you have an energetic and inspired day.